so yeah, what I want to talk about today is just an overall view of worship, worship leading, uh, specifically for um, people who participate um, musically in Sunday gatherings. So how many of you guys are musicians who play instruments, lead worship? How many of you guys? How many of you guys? Sweet. Good amount of you. How many of you guys don't play anything, you just like singing with everybody? Sweet. Awesome. There's a lot you guys can learn here. Uh, I'm not going to just be talking about music or you know things that only apply to musicians. Just going to be a general uh, overview of worship and how it applies to our daily life uh, as believers. Um, so I title it, Worship Leaders, We're Not Rock Stars. Just going to put it out uh, as a blanket statement. This is what we're not. We're not rock stars in what we do. Um, and what I want to talk about today is what we are. So I have five points that are going to talk about what we are um, as worship leaders. So uh, as far as my um, background, my experience, um, so I've been uh, a Christian for um, probably about, like, fully saved in my life for about 10, 11 years now. Um, I was saved in early high school. Um, and my dad is a, a worship leader, so I grew up uh, as a pastor's kid, worship pastor's kid. Um, and he's been someone in my life that's been highly influential uh, in what I do. Um, he still mentors me, and uh, I've learned so much from him about what worship truly is and how we can use it to um, glorify the body of Christ. Um, so I started playing in the band. Uh, well, I started playing piano when I was like seven years old, took like eight years of piano lessons, and then started playing guitar, bass, um, as, and drums as I got older into high school. And I started playing bass in the high school band when I was about a sophomore. Uh, and since then, I've just been regularly involved. Uh, Sundays, um, Wednesday night Bible studies, uh, either leading or participating as an instrumentalist. And um, over the last year, I've uh, been the worship leader for um, high school group at Grace Community. Um, it's been my first year as just a, uh, um, as a, a lead worship guy, um, leading every week and, and uh, working with Pastor Josh and what we do um, on Sundays. And uh, it's just been a huge blessing in my life. I've learned so much as, uh, uh, as a leader and as just, a, just being a Christian and a believer um, and not just uh, as a musician. Um, so I want to spend time today. Uh, we're going to look at the Bible. Obviously, we're going to talk about worship, obviously. Uh, and specifically, what we're going to look at is what is a worship leader? Um, who are we called to be? And what should we be doing as we serve? And how are we supposed to act? Uh, camp worship, uh, as you guys know, is awesome. It's a highlight for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, the guys, the piece of stone, Johnny Nod does a great job. And, and he just leads us so well in what we do. And, um, and I know you guys uh, really enjoy that. Um, and before you guys hear, uh, I, I want you guys to come away with a, just a deeper understanding of worship. Um, and how it applies to us, whether we lead or just as we participate um, uh, in it, whether on Sundays, Bible studies, camp, uh, whatever it may be. And for us who um, regularly are part of leading worship or uh, instrumentalist, um, and I, I don't want this to be something that you just glean practical knowledge from um, of what we should be doing as worship leaders. Uh, I don't want you guys to be just better musicians. Um, I want you guys to be better worshipers. And what that means is being a better Christian. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's turn to Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Colossians 3. So Colossians 3, beginning in verse 16 to 17, says this, 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is kind of like just the thesis statement of worship in the Bible. It's used in so many of these capacities. Um, so first, let's just talk about music, music in general. Uh, music is awesome. Uh, we use it for everything uh, in our lives. It gets us excited. Uh, it gets us sad. It makes us happy when we're sad. It helps us chill out. helps us work out. It helps us meditate. And it helps us worship. Uh, music is a gift from God. Uh, he gave it to us in all its forms as a means to further glorify his name. Uh, he is glorified when we as image bearers use our gifts and artistic ability. And we see in Colossians that when we sing songs, um, it specifically is a way for us to let the word of God dwell in us. And this is where the, the concept of biblical worship through music and song is displayed. So a quote from uh, Bob Coughlin, uh, who's a worship leader at Sovereign Grace Music and writes a lot of the songs that we sing. Um, he says this, quote, Music is a gift from God that benefits people of different cultures in countless ways. It expresses emotions that we sometimes can't find the words for. It can amplify the impact of words we sing. Music can lift our spirits, motivate us to exert greater effort, draw our hearts towards transcendent beauty, deepen our sense of community, and give us one voice as we pursue a common cause. So as we can see, worship is so much more than just a collection of notes uh, on a page or chords played in a cohesive manner. Um, well, what is worship? Uh, the definition for that is an expression of adoration or reverence that focuses on who God is and what he has done for us. Again, an expression of adoration or reverence that focuses on who God is and what he has done for us. Therefore, the songs that we sing should be uh, a reflection of the nature of these truths and should allow us to draw closer to him in light of who he is and what he's done. Uh, all of life is worship. We're going to talk about this more. Uh, it's not just a Sunday morning event or a camp session. Uh, we want to ask, uh, answer the question, how do we keep worshiping Monday through Saturday? Something else to be aware of, uh, worship in a corporate setting, whether you're gathered uh, here at camp or at church or at Bible study, um, when we sing together, it serves as an anticipation of the heavenly gathering of God's people. One day we're going to be gathered uh, as the saints in heaven, uh, praising the Lord together. Uh, and when we sing together here on earth, it's just a small taste of, of that glory that awaits us. Worship is about reverence to our Lord. Uh, Bob Coffin again says this, quote, Worship matters. It matters to God because he is ultimately worthy of all worship. It matters to us because worshiping God is the reason for which we were created. Our time in worship should be a time that allows us to give reverence to God, uh, to focus on his attributes, and again, to sing with gratefulness for the work that he's done. Uh, worshiping should not be viewed as a means uh, to get God's attention uh, or not even the attention of those that are around us. Um, God in his grace gives us the gift of music and worship as a gift um, and, a, and a means by which we can come to him. It's not about earning anything or accomplishing or, or even feeling anything. Uh, we don't evaluate our time together or our time in worship by uh, what happened or what we felt. Um, but we take joy in the fact that God was present with his people as we sang and the word was preached. We don't want to go into uh, a worship service thinking whether we're playing or if we're singing uh, 
if I worship well, if I, if I play piano really well, if I do this really well, then he's going to listen to me. He's going to hear what I have to say. And really, that's, that's not the case. And that's, that's relieving for us. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Um, the fact that God saved us, that Christ redeemed us, should drive our desire to want to sing and revel in these truths. Worship and song gives us that opportunity as believers to rejoice as the body of Christ and admonish and encourage one another. It really is an encouragement and a blessing when we get to sing together uh, with God's people. And I hope you guys come to cherish that for what it is and what we are, are doing um, and as we live our lives and grow in our Christian faith. Um, so let's switch to our topic, which is uh, mainly directed to people who are labeled as worship leaders. Um, but this will obviously apply to anybody. Um, so the worship leader uh, is not found specifically in the Bible. And there's so many other different titles that we can use uh, to describe this person, which is song leader, music director, or even a choir master. Um, But make note of this. Christ himself is our ultimate worship leader who intercedes for us. That intercession with the Father allows us to have communion with him and and ultimately be able to bring our worship to him. He's leading us in that. So a worship leader in, in our context then is this is a person who exemplifies worship in all areas of life as an example for the church to emulate, who pursues God with everything and lives a life of holiness that worships through obedience of all things, who leads the church in an all-encompassing lifestyle of worship. That is what a worship leader is. It's not a talented singer. It's not a talented guitarist. It's someone who models holiness and worships through obedience. And it's not just someone who knows some songs, knows chords, um, and I think the idea that uh, worship leaders uh, are just these, these rock star figures have come from an idea uh, and just a failure to understand that worship is all-encompassing. It's not just Sunday morning. You can't compartmentalize worship. Do you Even just the singing part of Sunday morning, there's worship in giving, uh, there's worship in preaching. There's so many different parts of worship. It's not just that worship is the part where we sing, where we hear music. Uh, so with that being said, I have five points that we're going to look at that are going to shape um, you're thinking, hopefully, of who we are and how we should first serve God's people. So the first one, who are we? We are worshipers. We are worshipers. And that seems pretty obvious. Uh, but we're always worshiping something or someone. We were made for worship and made to be seeking the biggest, best, and most beautiful things of life so that we can ascribe glory to that thing. Uh, that's how God created us. Um, but sin has, has tainted this. Um, in Romans 1, 19 through 23, it says this, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So it might seem kind of odd today that we would worship uh, four-footed animals and crawling creatures, but that idea has shifted now to just worshiping things like status, worshiping material things uh, of this world and, and, and chasing after our own glory. Uh, we often strive for comfort, uh, for power and approval, and we really just seek these things um, anywhere we can. And we use the gifts that God gave us to, to acquire these things. We have so many idols 
that drive our attention and become replacements for God. Uh, and then we'd step on a platform on Sunday to lead, and we hope that our secret lives aren't public. Um, so as worship leaders, we can ask the question, what are we worshiping? And Psalm 158 tells us that when we trust in idols, we become like the idols we trust in. Small compromises in our lifestyle continue to build up as we worship things like comfort, approval, power, money, until one day we realize we're not the same person who was once walking with God as his child. In contrast to this, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, When we hold Jesus' glory, we are increasingly transformed into a mirror image of him. It is a great promise, but only for those who behold him. And to behold him, we have to, we have to think about him. We have to spend time with him. We have to talk with him in prayer and hear from the word. It's okay to stare at this beauty. The more we stare at God and who he is, the more we will love him, worship him, and become like him. So as worshipers, that's what we are. As worshipers, we give God our thoughts and our affections because he is worthy to receive them. Uh, worshiping the things of the world only makes us more like the world. But if we worship God in the gospel above all things, we are promised a life that will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And then the song, Turn Your Eyes, by Sovereign Grace says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So second point, what are we? We are redeemed and adopted. We're going to talk about worship in the context of our adopted status. Uh, Ephesians 3, uh, or Ephesians 1, 3 through 10 uh, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him for an administration of the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth in him. That's a lot there. But J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, puts it this way about adoption. This is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher. Because of the richer relationship with God that it involves, justification is a forensic idea, conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. Adoption is a family idea, conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is an even greater thing. So how does this relate to the way we worship and the more and the more specifically how we how we use our gifts and instruments uh, to play music in worship of him? Well it really just shows that there's nothing um, that we can do to earn our standing, earn our approval with God. Uh, playing an instrument or worship leading does not give us an advantage when considering how we're made right with God uh, or, or that we're part of his family. So you can think about it this way. Uh, when a father, think about a father and a young child. When the father has given this child everything that he or she could ever want, a home, um, toys, food, um, 
everything that would make this child's life good, um, he's done it out of love. And in response, think about when a child, uh, you know, draws a picture uh, and just and gives it to her dad, right? Um, you guys know what these pictures look like. They're not masterpieces. Um, and you know the rules of playing with kids. If a child hands you a fake telephone, you answer it. And if a child hands you something you, that they drew, you cherish it, right? Um, but think about the father. He's given them everything. He's given them everything. And as a response, the child hands them this picture that they drew. And the father's response, he's not going to look at it and go, what is this? I, I don't need this. doesn't even look like me. I don't need this. Right? You're not going to throw that away. The, the father, out of love, says, this is, this is wonderful. This is amazing what you did. And the, and the child doesn't know that it looks horrible. But the only thing that ch- the child could do in response to uh, just the father's love and care is, I'm just going to offer this to you. Um, a loving father will cherish the gifts of his children, though they offer him no value. He doesn't need anything that a child could offer with material things. He loves it because he loves us. He doesn't need anything we can offer him. In Psalm 50, this point is, um, is explained that everything belongs to the Lord. I am your God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine as well as its fullness. So how humbling is it for us to realize that there's nothing we could offer to God that he doesn't already have? Our worship is not based on the things that we can offer him. We can take heart in the fact that in our worship, um, that the worship we have is not dependent on, on me or on our performance um, or in the way we sing or the way we present ourselves. Worship happens when we sing biblical truth about God and his son. And in that, the Lord is pleased and will dwell with us. That's just freeing for us. Our meetings and, and the times that we sing and worship are not meant for our own glory. We are God's children. And everything we have has been provided by him, our father. And oftentimes we can get caught up in the trap that we need to, we need to offer something to God. Um, but he views our gifts like the drawing of that, of that child. It's not about what we give him or how beautiful it is or how excellent it is. It's about responding in love to what God has done for us. And God will respond in kind if we are in his family. Adopted children. So third, what are we? We are theologians. Let's go uh, back to Colossians here. Uh, Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. So how many of you guys, I hope everyone knows your ABCs, am I right? How many of you guys can do the ABCs without singing the song? Do you have to start all the beginning, sing it? You can do it. <laughs> there you go. But I know you're hearing the melody in your head. There you go. Uh, but we use the song, we use ABCs, we use those simple things to help us learn uh, just basic truth. Um, singing is a way for our, our memory to be stimulated. Um, and, and similar too, like there's uh, songs that we help us learn uh, the books of the Bible as well. Um, it's been used for generations to teach us just basic knowledge um, uh, about the Bible. We know Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a very simple song, but it teaches a very powerful truth. 
Um, and there's just a reason that we do that. Music is just a powerful tool for our memory. Um, we can't downplay the importance of the theology we use in our music to teach people because music is powerful. We need to be singing truth. Music is kind of language. It is language. You're right. Um, and um, My dad has always pointed out to me that we, on a Sunday gathering, we don't uh, sing the sermon uh, as we leave. Uh, oftentimes we're singing the songs that we sang on Sunday, and those are the things that occupy our minds, and they're stuck in our head. And um, We've all been there when we just have something that's just stuck in our head on Sundays that doesn't get out. But it's not to down, uh, downplay the importance of preaching, the preaching of the Word, but it really just shows the power of, of music. Um, as we look back to Colossians, the command here is to uh, let the Word of Christ dwell in us. And how do we let it dwell in us? Well, we sing these truths. We sing Songs that teach and admonish us, and admonish us. So the biblical command is literally to teach each other in truth through song. When we gather as believers, our participating in this manner is so important, even if we aren't even playing in the band. Uh, as we sing songs together uh, as a body of believers, um, we are encouraging each other with biblical truth. It's not just one person singing back out to the stage or to the band uh, or to nothing. Uh, that believer is singing truth to the rest of the congregation, the rest of the people that are around them, and affirming truths from the Word. It's a, just a beautiful act that we should cherish, and we should uh, come to understand is it's not just, we're not passive in our worship. We're actively participating in worship when we sing together as the body. So if we're theologians, well, what does that mean? So that means uh, we are someone who makes it life's God's mission to know God's nature, His character, His will, and ways with the highest level of expertise possible who holds, quote, firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's from Titus 1.9. So our job is to know God and our job is to be able to teach who God is. So really for us, our response is just understand our role as theologians. We're not just musicians. Uh, we need to handle the word of God carefully like a preacher and understand if we're not singing biblical truth and we're not worshiping. Uh, we need to drench our songs in Scripture and saturate them with truth. Um, and this, we have a responsibility as leaders um, to be reading lyrics and comparing them uh, to what Scripture says um, before we can sing them together and make sure that we're teaching the same things that are being taught in the Bible. Um, we have an accountability uh, to our congregations, um, whether we lead or not, uh, no matter how big or small congregations, to handle God's truth rightly whether in word or song. As worship leaders, our calling is to lead people to God from his word and ultimately give him all praise and glory and teach others how to do that. So the next thing that we are, we are storytellers. And another way of putting it is we are liturgists. Um, who's heard the word liturgy before? Liturgy might be somewhat familiar, uh, somewhat not. That's okay. We're going to learn what it is. Liturgy simply means... The order of worship. It is a systemic, thoughtful programming of telling the gospel story in and through the songs and other elements of the worship service. Um, as worship leaders, we get to participate in the liturgy of a worship service. And these things aren't, uh, what we're going to go through aren't just, they're not a hard and fast rule. Um, every church is going to do these a little bit differently, um, but they are part of uh, the, the gathering of the church in every church. 
Um, we use different things like scripture, prayer, and songs to accomplish what the liturgy of worship is. And we as worship leaders are storytellers. Every song we sing tells a story. And the way we order them and sing them combined with other elements of what we do also must tell a story. The most important story of all, the gospel story. Um, and if we become familiar with these movements of liturgy, uh, we start to see them more and more uh, as we gather every week. And we can know how to discern uh, which songs or scriptures we can use um, to work through these movements. Um, so let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to walk through this a little bit. I'm talking about um, liturgy in the church. That's where the concept comes from. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1 when you guys get there. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at him, shook at the voice of him who called out while the house of God was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here, here am I, send me. So I'm going to go through these movements of liturgy. Um, and it's just important to see the part that we play uh, as leaders or as the congregation, um, as we use songs and scripture to go through, um, starting with the call of worship all the way to how we are sent um, from our church. So the first movement is the call to worship. The Lord brought Isaiah into his presence, and as worship leaders at our job, it's our job to bring people into the service um, and all their brokenness to call attention to the holy and living God who is on his throne. And it should be our, our first goal as we gather together, is to call attention to God and who he is. So the second movement is the movement of adoration, of praise, and thanksgiving. This comes from verse 3. God is holy. And as we get a glimpse of who he is through his word and what we know to be true about him, our response to his holiness, as seen in verse 3, is to cry out to God and give praise to him. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He is unlike anything this world has. His beauty is unmatched and unparalleled. He is completely gracious and compassionate, completely slow to anger and abounding in kindness. He is not like us, and we are not like him. We can't help but gaze upon his beauty and cry out in, ad in adoration and praise and thanksgiving. We as worship leaders have the responsibility and privilege to use our tools of song and scripture to show the congregation just how amazing and worthy of praise our Lord is. The glory of our worship goes to him and him alone as we understand his holiness more and more. So the next movement is the movement of confession and repentance. Um, our knowledge uh, of, of God is increasing 
and we're starting to realize how unworthy we are. Isaiah says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He views the presence of God, and his only reaction is to confess how unworthy he is. So what are we to do? Well, we're supposed to lead people to be aware of their sin and be the catalyst for repentance as they see the glory of God. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It's one of my favorite hymns. So the fourth movement is the movement of assurance. God responds to Isaiah's plea immediately by sending an angel to touch his mouth and assure him that his sins had been forgiven. What we do in a worship service points people to God's loving kindness. That quote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from 1 John 1, 9. Our time in worship reminds us that our sins are forgiven. The gospel must continually be rehearsed to remind people that there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor, but that we are forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ. So where do we go from here? Movement five, the sending and the commitment. Our response to the gospel and the work of Christ should be to live a life that is committed to the mission of the gospel in the world. God hasn't saved us to live comfortable lives here on earth. He's saved us to be salt and light to a fallen world. We are called to live a life of worship that is worthy of the gospel that has saved us. This is why a lot of services will end with a benediction, a final prayer, or a song that kind of encapsulates what we've done and how we should go from there. Um, and so that people can leave their Sunday gathering or any gathering with a charge in their heart to live for Christ and to glorify Him. This is more than just a set list. We're not just putting together a bunch of songs, just reading any scripture. There's a purpose for what we're doing if we're following what scripture says. It's through the services that we take part in, we are given maximum exposure to the person of Christ, the greatness of our God, and leading people to live a life that reflects that. So finally, what are we? We are Christians. We are Christians. True worshipers and worship leaders are Christians. They are saved people. Simple as that. Worship without salvation is not true worship. Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, Pastor John MacArthur makes a comment about this in his book, Worship, the ultimate priority it says, quote, this confirms once more that the foundation of true worship is salvation. One who is not saved cannot truly worship. And one who is truly saved will be motivated by the indwelling Holy Spirit to worship. It is fair then to examine ourselves on the basis of our worship. If you have trouble worshiping, maybe you're not saved. If you get bored in church or you don't mind missing church altogether, maybe because the Holy Spirit isn't in you prompting your heart. If he is there, we must yield our will to his power. And if we're wondering whether our worship is genuine, we need to look no further than uh, to our own salvation. And to use an example uh, from my own life, when I was uh, growing up, um, though music was full in the household, my dad was leading every Sunday, I was in church every Sunday, I really had no desire to sing. I, for whatever reason, just was not compelled to sing, um, maybe he was insecure, didn't want anyone to hear my voice, all kinds of reasons. And um, my mom mentioned to me a while back that she remembers standing there next to me. 
I wasn't this tall, so she's looking, looking down at me. Um, she would notice that I, I'm just standing there. I'm just not singing, and her temptation was to want to make me sing. She wanted me to participate. Um, but I, I'm so, so thankful that she did not make me sing because that just wouldn't have been a genuine heart that wanted to worship. Um, and so when I got saved, um, I didn't go to my mom and say, hey, mom, I'm going to sing now. Uh, it just was something that I, I came back and she noticed. I didn't notice. I didn't know what had gone on in my heart, except for the fact that I knew that I had wanted to follow Christ. All of a sudden, yeah, I want to sing. I want to praise God together, praise uh, him uh, with, with his people. And it just was something that what, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I was just compelled to do. It's what I wanted to do. It's not something I was forced to do. And that's why I'm so grateful that my mom didn't make me sing. Um, yes, it, w- it wasn't even a question for me. It was the Holy Spirit that dwelled inside of me. So, in short, true worship only happens when we've been transformed and are given renewed hearts that are made right with God. Only then is true worship possible. There's 168 hours in the week. Uh, For most Christians, they might participate in worship service just one hour out of those 168. So really, we just, we can't say that worship is based off of one hour of our week. Uh, As powerful as as church is, um, being a part of Sunday gathering or Bible study, it's the smallest expression of our worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink, do or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So this verse is meant to be an all-encompassing call to worship God in everything that we do, even in the mundane things such as eating and drinking. It's whatever you do. And I think the whole idea uh, of this, this, the rock star syndrome that worship leaders can have is we just use it as a platform to uplift ourselves and we don't see it as, as, a, as a call to worship. We love our names, uh, we love our glory, we love our fame in one way or another, whether you're playing music or not. We want the glory, even if outwardly, outwardly we say we're giving it to Christ. And that's just our sinful nature. And, and the idea of us uh, being rock stars has nothing to do with uh, modern music, style, musical styles, or, or fashion even. It has everything to do with our hearts and what's in us. So what's the right way of thinking? Well, one way, uh, if you read Romans 12.1, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. The gospel and the glory of God causes us to respond in this way. Jesus' glory is unparalleled. As we're seeing this week, his beauty is unmatched. Uh, His holiness is uncompromising. There's no rival for Jesus. He's purchased us out of death and darkness. We are redeemed, adopted, and called his own. And that's our motivation to be living sacrifices and give him all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. The call to be a living sacrifice doesn't start and end with our Sunday gathering. Uh, It's a full transformation and commitment to a service of Christ in every single moment of our lives. And really the point is, is to show that sometimes we, we just put worship in a box, uh, especially as musicians. It's, you know, it's, it's, something, it's, it's a gig or it's just something we do on Sunday and, or it's just one part of the service and, um, and we only take that box out when we, when we just play or participate. And hopefully through this you guys have seen that worship is so much more than the music. 
we have a privilege to sing praises to our Lord as the body of Christ and an even greater privilege as musicians and leaders to bring along the body in worship. We're so much more than musicians. We're so much more than just um, rock stars. We're not rock stars. Uh, We are children of God and we're saved by him. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just thank you for the cross. We thank you for who you are and that you have caused us to um, see your glory and your beauty and um, that we've fallen down uh, to our knees and come to trust in you. And we just thank you. You've given us the gift of music. You've given us the gift of of means to worship you. And I pray that we would not take that lightly um, as we go forward and, and back to our churches uh, but that we would see it as the gift that it is that we get an opportunity to teach one another um, the truths of the gospel and the, the saving power that it is. I pray for the rest of camp. Thank you for the people who are here teaching and preaching and serving us. Um, and I pray you just keep us safe the rest of the time and that we would grow closer to you. Praise in your name. Amen.